The Veterans Affairs Department is on a multi-year mission to improve veterans' experiences with the agency. Its surveys show trust by veterans is up 24% in the past five years. But trust varies among veterans' demographics. 80% of men say they trust the department, compared to 74% of female veterans. That's all according to VA's own data, published on the department's website for the first time. For how VA obtained the feedback, Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco spoke with VA's new Chief Veterans Experience Officer, John Burstler. So the data comes from a lot of the human-centered design work that we at the Veterans Experience Office did with our partners at the Veterans Health Administration, the Veterans Benefits Administration, and the National Cemetery Administration, really all of our partners at VA, to really better understand and glean insights into really what were some of the customers' biggest pain points, their bright spots, and the moments that really mattered to them, and then really kind of using the the human-centered design process to really solve for the problems and some of the bright spots as well by designing tools like the 65 plus veteran signals or what we call V-signal surveys in order to really consistently measure the customer experience in real time so that then we can apply solutions in the field uh, based off of those insights. The VA really administers the V-signal surveys via email to a sampling of customers. And I say when I, when I say customers, I, I mean veterans, their families, caregivers and survivors. So it's easier to just kind of say customers instead of just veterans because it's uh, obviously inclusive of a whole spectrum of different individuals who we serve. Like a good use case is like if I'm a veteran going to an outpatient visit at a VA medical center, once I complete that healthcare appointment or I receive information on benefit services from the Veterans Benefits Administration in, in another use case, I'll receive a survey if I'm part of that sample size and then I'll answer a series of questions that are based on a one to five Likert scale. So it's almost like a net promoter score. So it's a strongly agree, you know, agree, neutral, disagree, or strongly disagree. And we're trying to measure what we call or we're referred to at VA is called the three E's. So ease, effectiveness, and emotion from really kind of drawing from those moments that matter in the veteran's journey. So when I say ease, is like we're asking the veteran, like, was it easy to navigate the facility and find the clinic that you were looking for or find the benefits service provider that you were looking for? Was it easy to park? Was it easy to get around and, and understand how to access care? When I talk about effectiveness, we're really talking about, did you understand what your provider said to you about your care benefits? And are you satisfied with that experience? And when we say emotion, we really, we're really asking the veteran or the customer in this case, did you feel respected by that encounter? Do you trust VA to continue to deliver care in a safe, respectful, and trustworthy way? So these, these kind of net promoter scores, these V-signal scores are measured, like I said, on that Likert scale, and then they contribute to an overall trust score that VA publishes. And so we've been publishing these reports quarterly since 2016 on performance.gov. But once we kind of briefed Secretary McDonough on the capabilities of the office, he was very adamant to really do this in a more routine and transparent way. So it was very, very interesting that, and, and I think incredible that he challenged, immediately kind of challenged us to make these results public on a forward-facing va.gov slash trust website. So not only do we want our veterans to know that we are listening, but we are a public organization and we, as a public trust, we want to be held accountable. We want to be transparent. We have a duty, you know, to be transparent and especially being transparent about the trust in our organization from the customer's perspective and hold ourselves responsible. 
So that leads into my next question, which was, you know, what are these specific results say to you at this point? I mean, I know that VA has been on this upward trajectory as far as the trust scores go over the past four years or so. But what do the results specifically tell you? Where do you think you need to improve? Just looking at the aggregate number of surveys that we've not only published, but have been responded to, it's in the millions and it's it's pretty incredible. So 6 million surveys have been sent into VA from customers about their experience at VA in, in a variety of different channels. And so we use that information to, you know, for example, uh, if it's a an outpatient experience or an inpatient experience, our patient our patient experience or what we call PX directorate will then take that information, those insights gleaned from the V signals and the human centered design work, and then use that information to consult in the field using really working directly with the VA medical centers and the outpatient clinics so that they can improve their care and improve their scores over time, which everybody's really interested in doing, of course. And then it also helps the VA leadership in terms of decision-making. So in terms of like specific examples, the human-centered design process and the customer experiences were very involved in a lot of the electronic health record modernization uh, project and the strategic review going on and really asking veterans like what attributes about the portal and accessing your care do you like and scheduling appointments communicating with your provider what do you like what do you not like what can we include in this new version in this new rollout to make your experience that much better there's also some really great examples historically of ways that we've used the insights to change different things, particularly on our website and va.gov. It's kind of revamped in the last couple of years. It used to be kind of like this forward, you know, public facing website that was very much information about what VA is doing and as opposed to driven directly toward the customer. So if you go to va.gov now, it is very simple and for veterans and their families, caregivers and survivors to navigate to care or benefits and get questions answered. And so we're doing, a, we're using a lot of that direct human centered design feedback to then inform the process and modernize it. So looking at the most recent results, they come from the winter into early spring of this year. And, you know, for the most part, the VA wide trust score of 79% seems relatively consistent across the demographic areas that you're studying. But there's a little bit of fluctuation there with women veterans versus male veterans and some discrepancies across race and ethnicity as well. So from your perspective, I mean, what does that tell you and how might you use that data going forward? It tells us where we need to improve and which customers we need to proactively engage and design specifically for. So for example, when you mentioned women veterans and like accessing benefits, we just completed a human-centered design project with the Veterans Benefits Administration as our strategic partners to really understand what pain points there were, what bright spots there were, what, what were the moments that matter when women veterans and their families were accessing benefits and care, and then designing specific solutions around that. We're currently also involved in a very important human-centered design project around LGBTQ plus veterans and their families and making VA a much safer, much more trusted destination for these veterans in their care and their families' care and their ben- and accessing benefits and making sure that we're designing specifically for those customer types. And in terms of, you know, the age demographics and other other demographics, it's very interesting to see these insights on a routine basis. So we send out a dashboard on a weekly basis that we review. And then we can also look at trends that are happening in different parts of the country or different segments of the population so that we can then, you know, solve for those problems and make sure that 
they do have a wonderful customer experience. What other priorities do you have as Chief Veterans Experience Officer? And what other projects are you working on that you might be able to preview for us? Yeah, so the the top three priorities, you know, for me, and I think a lot of the leadership and the department overall is to you know, really successfully continue to respond to COVID-19 and the pandemic and make sure that we're doing everything to not only measure the experience for veterans, particularly around, you know, care, delivery of benefits in a post-pandemic or pandemic world and post-pandemic world, but also measuring that that experience when they got the vaccine, because we're going to need to do booster shots at some point and making sure that we're launching vaccine surveys to better glean insights from that experience so that we can improve upon it. And then also better understand our customers from the standpoint of why are they not seeking a vaccine or seeking care from VA to receive a vaccine. So there's a lot of uh, interesting things that we're going to be doing in the next couple of months to to really drill down on that. And I think what COVID-19 and the opportunity it's, it's given VA is to really engage with a whole new cohort of veteran customers and family customers, many younger veterans and underserved populations of veterans who have not previously engaged with VA care or benefits have now come in and had this wonderful experience of of getting the the COVID-19 vaccine. And now we want to make sure and retain that customer and better educate them and engage them on the the benefits and services that are available to them. Obviously, when we're talking about inclusion, diversity, equity, and particularly around how access and outcomes impact the diversity, equity, and inclusion, a lot of work, as I mentioned before, is being being conducted not only on the human-centered design front, but designing specific survey mechanisms and outreach mechanisms to engage these populations so that we can make sure that they have that customer experience and that they are retained as well as, as great customers. So lots of incredible work being done, and I'm, I'm very excited to be helping lead some of that with my colleagues and really kind of expanding that customer experience methodology, so to speak, further into VA and beyond and other federal agencies and to our partners through the what we're calling the Customer Experience Institute, which can really help or be an offering to not only customers within VA, you know, internal uh, departmental customers, but also other federal agencies that would like to include these elements of customer service, service and experience to make sure that they're, you know, stepping up to the plate in, in a lot of different ways. We've also got some incredible projects going on, what we call the Veteran Engagement Action Centers. So we've picked six different underserved regions in the country that based on their enrollment within the Veterans Health Administration and high suicide rates, we were actually working with our internal partners at VA to make sure that they're actually being, you know, that we're actually engaging these regions that are underserved based on the metrics and hosting three-day events where we can enroll as many veterans as we can, and then also make sure that they're connected to their benefits and services. So that's going to be a pretty incredible effort kicking off in Lexington, Kentucky in July, and then going to Montana in August and several other sites. So that's going to be very exciting. And then there's probably a million other things that I can probably talk about today, but just really excited for the opportunity to serve, continue to serve veterans and their families, caregivers and survivors in this new role. In the last year, we heard a lot about, I think, your office's efforts on the employee experience front. I think you all had created maybe a new journey map for VA employees. Just kind of wondering where that stands at this point, if, if you know. 
Yeah, and that journey map was the first of its kind in the federal government to really map the employee experience. And just like we have on the customer journey maps, we've really identified the pain points, we've identified the bright spots, and the, really the moments that matter in that journey as a VA employee. As a relatively new VA employee, I'm kind of going through the journey on my own, and a lot of it resonates with me. And I think using the same tactics, tools, and strategies that we have in increasing the trust scores by 24% over the last five years. I think we were going to apply a lot of that, those lessons learned and best practices to the employee experience as well, or what we're calling EX. So, so CX is customer experience, EX is employee experience. And so developing tools like, you know, a version of vSignals that is like e-signals for employees. And really, instead of doing an annual, just an annual survey, we want to do checkpoints along the way to make sure that we're kind of like preventative maintenance on making sure that our employees are connected to the resources they need in order to accomplish their sacred duty that they've taken on to serve veterans and their families. Families. So we're working directly with the human resources department and the administration to really roll this out over over the next year. And hopefully we'll be able to glean some new insights once we have some some cursory results back. John Burstler, VA's chief veterans experience officer, speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. Check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has uh, placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is starting to lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And, and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the I- empathy that is a, a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions. Uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here 
and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina. Uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have uh, my willingness to to fight for change, and that was that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the 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 massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. A very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life, and and it, it conjured up again these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there've been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the US Ch- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community uh, inspired by that tragedy and now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think, with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most. And that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream, which we often define and think of his big, I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges, is seeing a forest despite the trees, is seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. 
and that that attribute I think is one that that I embody. I mean, I, I I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I I learned and that I tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic! And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service. Uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort. Down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of of being a leader, uh, and 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 I, I I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants, and I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the. Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, um, and, and, and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work. But, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. A financial plan isn't just about money. It's about what matters most to you, like protecting your family, supporting your community, and building a legacy for future generations. At Northwestern Mutual, we start with a conversation about the life you want to live now and years from now. Whether you're paying down debt, saving for college, or planning for retirement, we have an eye on your bigger picture. Get access to our financial expertise at harlem.nm.com. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.